Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. The Gospel of St. John, the 8th chapter, the 15th verse. It says, ye judge. This is Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. This is Jesus speaking to the men of the flesh. This is Jesus speaking to men of a carnal nature and understanding. This is Jesus addressing men that are indifferent. This is Jesus addressing men in the sensual realm. Okay? And he's telling them that ye judge after the flesh. Ye judge after the flesh. And Jesus said, but I judge no man. I judge no man. And yet if I judge, my judgment is true. For I'm not alone, but I and the Father that sent me. So my judgment is true. And it is in the fact that I judge no man. Because I hail from the Father. Okay? That's what I want to put our emphasis on. Jesus said, that ye judge after the flesh, but I judge no man. Okay? This is the mind of the Son of God saying that it was not in him to judge man in the flesh. It was not in Jesus to judge men after the flesh. Alright? Because he knew this is a hundred percent God. From the beginning of creation, God knew what he made. God knows how he created humanity. And so when Jesus comes through in the New Testament, bringing a different story from what we have known of old, it is in the infinite wisdom of God that all the things before happened that later Christ would come to know and understand why it is important to have Jesus Christ in the earth and what he did for us. Okay? The hearts of men, even in time memorial, have been desperately wicked. Okay? That wickedness that vexes the spirit. And God from the beginning of the world has contended with man. They lost their lives in war with their enemies. They were killed brutally for going against the orders of the spirit. He sent the floods. He let plagues, you know, hit men. Like in the story of Moses. But you see, there was even a point where God says, for the spirit of God shall not strive with man any longer. Because he knows what's in men. Jesus said that he committed himself to no man, for he knew what was in men. The carnal fleshly nature of humanity, none is perfect. None is perfect. Even the most perfect one cannot be trusted. You remember the man who sang, I dare not trust the sweetest frame. Okay? Even the sweetest frame, you cannot trust it. Even the most beautiful people in the world, the most wonderful people you assume, at their best, they cannot be trusted. And that is why Jesus could not commit himself because he knew what was in all men. But here, Jesus is not talking about spirit. He's talking about flesh, men of the flesh. So it doesn't mean that God has no trust in the man of the spirit. But he's saying that he has no trust in the man of the flesh. Paul says we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Even those who judge others for doing what they've done. They have as well done what they accuse others of. Albeit in a different way. They've sinned another way. 
But all of it, the end of that, all of that is sin. All have sinned. Okay? So well, probably if you're judging one who did this to somebody, but you told a lie too. Then you might think, oh, that's a small one. But before God, it's the same. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Okay? So Jesus comes into the world. You must understand why and how uh, he comes. He does not come to judge, but he comes to save men. Okay? For Christ came to save all mankind. All right? That's the reason why Jesus Christ came. He comes to seek and save the lost. So he tells the Pharisees and Sadducees, the Essens, the negative folk, the carnal people of his time, and he says, see, you judge men after the flesh. And he tells them, but I judge no man in the flesh. I judge no man in the flesh. Okay? But there is something Jesus is trying to emphasize or teach us this morning. And I pray by God that you will come to the full understanding of what he's trying to tell us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verses 26, we transition to our calling. Paul speaks of how we were called. And he says, even in your calling, see you who are called, brethren, that how that not many of you were wise men after the flesh. God did not look at your grades. He did not look at your intellect. He did not measure your IQ or your EQ. And then said, I think this is the fellow to trust. He did not look at how many words you have in the dictionary off your head. He did not look at your vocabulary. He did not consider your accent or the words you say right or wrong. He did not consider the family that you came from. He did not consider the relatives that you are with. He did not consider where you were born and how you were born. He did not consider whether you came from a wealthy household or a poor one or a middle income. But the Bible says, every man is taken to the point of consideration for their calling, especially for those of you who know and understand the power of the calling of God upon our lives. And he says, when you see your calling, not many men were wise after the flesh. Some were, and some were not. But God did not base on their wisdom to call them. Okay? And he says, not many mighty, not many noble are called. In fact, if you get it for me in the Amplified Version, he says, for ye simply consider your own call, brethren. Not many of you were considered to be wise according to human estimates, uh, wise according to human standards, not many of you were influential and powerful. Not many of you were high and of noble birth. But, the Bible says, for God did not select or choose anything considering where you came from or what you did. But rather, the Bible says, God selected, he chose deliberately what in the world is foolish to put the wise to shame. Whatever was considered in the world to be low, born, Whatever was considered in the world to be insignificant, branded and treated with contempt, even the things that are nothing. The Bible says those are the things that he chose that he might depose and bring to nothing the things that are. That is the God of the Bible. And that is why I tell believers many a time that every time you see this thing on you, you must consider that there must be something on you that was so broken and fallen and misconstrued that God had to choose you. Hallelujah. And the 29th verse, that no flesh should glory in his presence. That no flesh should glory in his presence. That you will not bring your education and glory in his presence. That you will not bring your moral standards and say, I think I glory because of this. That you'll not bring your books and papers, your trainings of school and, you know, whether Bible or not. That you'll not bring those credentials and say, this is the reason why I glory in the presence of God. But that you might entirely look to that God who began that work in your life. Notwithstanding the things that were surrounding you. Things that for all purposes and terms were to disqualify you. 
many of us, when we look at ourselves, we still ask ourselves, why us? Paul says a very strong statement. He says, not that I've attained. You know, he speaks of his journey. And he says, not that I've attained. But he says, but I seek that I may apprehend that which Christ apprehended me for. This is a pursuit. This is a quest. This is a seeking that was continuous in the heart of the apostle to understand. But why did you choose me? Okay. He goes back to his story and says, I persecuted the church of Jesus Christ and I wasted it. He was there at the stoning of Christians. He arrested with the zeal in his heart. He did everything that ought to have disqualified him from the call of God. But in all of that, God gets to that very fellow and he skips all the people who were right, all the people who seemed correct, all the people who seemed like had lived right, all the people who seemed like had connected right, all the people who seemed like were prayerful and all this. And then he gets to that fellow and he calls him to lay the foundation of the gospel. Paul. Paul called himself the chief of all sinners. He looked at the life he lived and he was convinced that he was the chief of all sinners because he turned against the way. He killed the people of the way. He was against the very thing God was trying to establish on the earth. But lo and behold, God gets to that man and says, this is the fiber that I frame to build the foundation of the New Testament dispensation. Oh, there were men that deserved that. Oh, there were women that deserved that. But he chose Paul. I look at myself individually and I'm thinking, why me? Why am I a preacher? And I don't see why he could have used me or chosen me. Because there were people who were more prayerful. There were people who were more, you know, aligned. There were people who were raised in families. Their fathers were pastors. Their mothers were pastors. You know, since they were little, you know, they probably fasted more than we did. They did all more than we did. But the Bible says, it's the very reason why God will choose you. This is something that you will never get over. Okay? That's why Paul says, I seek that I may apprehend that which Christ apprehended me for. Because in this journey, as that reality comes to your heart every day, as God gives you a glimpse of the milestones of your destiny in why he called you, you are humbled more. You receive this with more grace, understanding that even when you think that you are in control, you're actually not in control. A greater life is in control. But my emphasis goes deeply on why does Jesus say, I judge no man after the flesh? Because it says that there is a man of the spirit. And when that man comes, there is a way to relate with him and deal with him. But otherwise, there is no judgment to the flesh because it's not expected to do any better. That's why the law was sent, that all mouths might be stopped and that all might be guilty before God. You understand? God gives you those commandments, says, thou shall not kill, you shall not commit adultery. And all of these are there, that all mouths will be stopped. In other words, that no man on the earth with blood will say, ah, me, I am perfect in all of those things. No. The things that were written in the law, the Bible says, it says to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. The essence of why you have these commandments is that you will understand that there is no way you're better than the man who is next to you. It doesn't matter whether you judge them or write about them or talk about them, you know, give stories about them. You are not any better. You're not any better. Okay? And so Jesus, he didn't judge the flesh. Because he knows just how far the flesh can go, what the flesh can do, and where the flesh ends. So he does not come to judge the flesh. But he comes to give humanity something better. And it's in the revelation of his love. Now I'm going deeper here. It's in the revelation of his love. Okay? Remember, I've always emphasized love is best revealed in the pendulum of knowledge and judgment. That if the knowledge of God is clear on us, in our lives, 
and the judgments of the spirit are revealed. It's how love is expressed. It's expressed through the realm of knowledge and the realm of the judgments of the spirit. How God judges things. Remember, he judges no man after the flesh. All right? So what are his judgments touching the man of the flesh? And what are his judgments touching the man of the spirit? If we cannot advance there, why I emphasize that is if we cannot advance there, we cannot approve the things most excellent. We cannot design spiritually the things that we truly must pursue for, the things that are higher than the others, and connect ourselves to the higher calling with which we've been called in Christ Jesus. Some people are still functioning in very low realms of the spirit. And because they are so low in the spirit, they could give what would pass as approved to be accurate. But it is not, it's not changing. It's not converting the spirit. It is not truly transforming the man. Okay? And because we don't have true conversions and transformations in the church, we have delivering services, casting out devils, rebuking spirits of demonic and generational curses. But people are not really free. They have short fixes and can testify of, you know, the one thing that left their lives. But when you look at the sum of their life from the beginning to the end, you see that they did not really leave the fullness of God. The full expectation of God concerning their lives. Okay? Because we assume that we can have a deliverance without the transformation of the human mind. Okay? Why? Because today, what some of our people teach, they want to get you somewhere and tell you, oh, you know, this is generational curses. This is how curses come. This is who bewitches you. And then they give you all the signs that uh, prove that you're bewitched. Oh, if this is happening, then you're bewitched. If this is happening, then you have a generational curse. If this is happening, then some is following you. And they give you all this list, and some of which, you know, you will match with. Not because it is true, but because they judge after the flesh. Hallelujah. Okay? And then they pray for you, touching what they have told you you have or carry. But that is not transformational at all because the state of your mind has only come to the realization of the things you already knew. Albeit amplified by those who purport to teach the gospel. That is not transformational. How can you be delivered fully? Okay, yeah, you probably can fall down and jack and shake and scream and things screaming out of you. But only for a while, they're going to go into the dry places seeking for a space to land. And if they find none, they'll come back in this house that is not transformed. And it will go get seven or so demons and then come back. And the place or state of that person, the Bible says, is worse than the first. Luke eleven twenty six 26 says. It's worse than the first. So that is why you see there are believers who the more they pray, the worse they become. The more they fast, the worse stuff becomes. The more committed they get into a relationship with God, the more things continue to attack them and overthrow them. Why? Because they are relating in this commitment the wrong way. They're not looking to the transformation of the mind. The Bible says your mind should be renewed through the word. We cannot have true deliverance when the mind is not renewed. Otherwise, you're going to be conformed. You're going to have the mental attitudes, the ideals of this world in your heart or your spirit. But it says you're renewing your mind that you might prove again that which is good, acceptable, and perfect concerning the will of God on your life. Because once you start to understand what the word of God says, that's where true deliverance comes from. Yes, we will cast out devils out of you. If you don't have enough faith to do that, we'll help you. You'll scream, get up, and then move on. But if the mind is transformed, then true deliverance ensues. True deliverance is confirmed. Okay? So we have people who are not really delivered. They are commissioned into the work of ministry. But they themselves are slaves of what they assume to be delivering men of. Because we are not emphasizing the most excellent things. We don't understand the most excellent way. That the excellent way is in the realm of love. It's in the realm of love. There's no true deliverance when you don't understand the love of God. I'm talking about agape. If you cannot understand agape... If you don't understand what God has done through Christ, you can never be truly free. 
You will never heal. You will never be transformed. You'll never be delivered. You'll never come out of that challenge until you understand what really God has done through Christ Jesus, the expression of his love in the person of Christ. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, the 14th verse, he comes to that emphasis and he says, for the love of Christ, the agape of Christ, he says, it constraineth us. It constraineth us. The word therefore constraineth, suneko. It means it holds us so we do not fall into pieces. It holds us so we do not fall into pieces, suneko. The love of God is there to make sure that you don't break. To make sure that you don't crack. To make sure that even if things around you are shaking, you don't bow and be destroyed by them. That's the essence. That's the constraint. It holds us back. Yes, some people interpret that scripture only in the realm of emotions that helps you hold back your, you know, whatever you would have done to an individual who has wronged you and say, say, no, this guy has annoyed me, but let me constrain myself not to attack them. Let me constrain myself not to you know, destroy their reputation or write or say things about them or attack them. Yes, that is true, but it's not the only definition of that constraint. Okay? In fact, it's the same Greek narrative. It is likened to, for example, for people who keep cattle, even in Greek culture, there's a little small box, okay, that they'll push animals in. And then this box constrains animals from, you know, moving sideways or in front. And they force this animal in this little small box because they want to, say, immunize it or, you know, give it a shot, okay? It's also like that when they're administering medication to put it in this little box so it cannot move, okay, as they're dealing with it to make it better. So I think you also see that revelation too, that it is this love that garrisons you, that undergirds you, that holds you as God deals with you, as God deals with you, to treat you, to restore you, to recover you, to rebuild you, to strengthen you, to uphold you, to encourage you, to do whatever, to heal you, to deliver you, etc., etc. So he says that this love, the love of God, it constrains us. You know, it holds us so we don't fall into pieces. It contains us so we keep on the course and stay true to what God has called us to be and do. Hallelujah. Now, because we thus judge, that if one man died for all, if Jesus died for all, then we're all dead. And that is why we judge. It's because of this love that constrains the New Testament creation or creature. That helps us or allows us or guarantees our judgment. That indeed if Christ died, then we also died with him. In that way, there's a power that is beyond our own doing that constrains us the way we are supposed to be constrained, okay? And that is the very love in Christ that would not judge any man of the flesh. The love in the Christ would constrain him to judge any man in the flesh, okay? And he continues to say, and that he died for all, that they which live should live not henceforth and to themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Now, I studied this 2 Corinthians 5.15, that particular verse, and I was intrigued to find something uh, of a great meaning for me, and, and I'm going to share that with you. It's going to excite you. So, when he says, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. Now, when you read the Greek translation, where we get into the English, you realize there is no but unto him. That word does not exist. It's not in the Greek language. Even in the context of the writing of the original Greek language, the unto him, the second unto him is not there. Okay? In fact, when you read from the Greek, this is how it reads like. It says, and that he died for all, that they which should live should not henceforth live unto themselves but as one which died for them, as one which died for them, as the one which died for them, 
as the Christ which died for them. Okay? Ah, yeah, yeah. Did you get it? That you should live as the one who died for you. Like the one who died for you. That you should not live less of the God who died for you, the Christ who died for you. Right? And that same Christ which rose again. In other words, when we talk about the death with which you die in Christ, it speaks of a new birth. The salvation story of a believer that elevates you from the realm of men and puts you to the very level of that man, Jesus Christ. He has given you everything that you need to live like the one who died and rose again for you. The salvation story did not come to just make bad men become good people so they are ready to be citizens of heaven. No, it came that you might have life the very life which the Son of God has within himself, and that you might live in this earth entirely exactly like him. (laughs) Glory to God. So, for example, if he, the Christ, that you have to live as, could not judge men in the flesh, we're not supposed to tell you not to judge men in the flesh. It is supposed to be in you, as of the same nature which was in Christ, not to judge men in the flesh. Hallelujah. It's supposed to be automatic because you are elevated to the nature and likeness of him. So when the Bible says if we died with him, then we shall raise or reign or live with him. Because we have accepted that when Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross and he died, he did not just die for all of us, but we also died in that sacrifice. And now we are raised as the fruits of redemption. But with a different nature. A different life. A different character. A different course. A different way of seeing things. So we should not even tell people don't judge people. No. We should actually help people understand who they really are. That when he died for you. The Bible says you died. That you might not live anymore. To yourself. That is your kind of fallen nature anymore. But that you might live as one or like the one which died and rose again for you. That you will be elevated to that place where you are exactly like Jesus Christ. So why don't or shouldn't a believer judge a man after the flesh? Because the believer has been elevated not to judge like men of flesh. The believer has been elevated not to judge like men of flesh. In other words, you don't look at men after their way of the flesh. But I'm getting deeper here, okay? Now, the 16th verse says, wherefore, because of that, because Paul has understood that reality, he says, wherefore, henceforth, know we no man after the flesh. That is why we know no man after the flesh. Because we've been elevated to see things like the Christ sees. But more than that, we have the very life, the very likeness, the very nature of the Christ in us. We are elevated beings. We are not just a fallen kind of being anymore. We don't get into the zones where men judge each other. Like We could have done that before we got born again or before we were translated or converted. But now that we are a new creation, we cannot go back and look back and start judging men the way the wild judges or men judge each other. That's men of the flesh. Because we've been elevated and we are like and carry the life of the Christ. We are as he is. For this is love made perfect. The Bible says that you might have confidence. On the day of judgment. For as he is so are we in this world. He says if you are touching the day of judgment. This is the confidence and boldness that you must have. Because the love of God has been made perfect. In the express image of the invisible God, the coming of Jesus Christ, shedding his blood for you and I. That transaction, the propitiation of your sin, that he becomes sin, that you might, you know, be dead to sin and live unto righteousness. And you might become a new creation, a born again believer. So he says, when you beget that life in you, love is made perfect. When love is made perfect, you have confidence wherever judgment is. In other words, you are approved to judge according to the mind of the Spirit. For as he is, the Bible says, so are we in this world. 
So I don't judge my neighbor because my pastor refused me to judge. I don't judge men after the flesh because they refuse me to judge men after the flesh. Oh, because I still have my own problems. So why should I judge people? Because, you know, some people say, oh, I don't judge people. You know why I don't judge people? Because I still have my own issues. See, <laughs> that's not why we don't judge men after the flesh. We don't judge men after the flesh because we carry a nature higher than men and we understand where men are. But should a believer come with a weakness? Again, Paul emphasizes and says, because of where we are, we regard no man after the flesh. That even in the worst weakness of that individual, we're still looking to who are they in the spirit? Who are they in the spirit? Who is this individual, regardless of his weakness or her weakness? Who is she in the spirit? Hallelujah. And so he continues to say, he said, we henceforth know no man after the flesh. Yet though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth, the Bible says, we know him no more. Therefore, verse 17, he's still emphasizing the thing that I've been emphasizing. He says, therefore, if any man, now you see where it comes from, be in Christ. He's now trying to help us transcend in knowledge and understanding the new creation. And who they really are. He says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Regardless of whether that man is still doing certain things that you don't agree with. Or maybe they're falling in one thing or another. Yes, but if they're in Christ and you're born again. The Bible says he is a new creature. All things, the Bible says, are past. And it says, behold, see it. All things are become new. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And the next verse says, And all things are of God. Who has reconciled us to himself? You see that reconciliation? By Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, And that is the ministry he has given you in the New Testament church. The ministry of reconciliation. That's our ministry. That's our ministry. So, when we say we regard no man after the flesh, even the Christ would have regarded in the flesh because he was a perfect one. We know him not anymore after the flesh. God is saying that we judge men by the spirit. And the judgments of the spirit are clearly seen in the nature with which he has given the new creation. The judgments are in the nature of the new creation. That new creation, the Bible says, the old is past. That's a judgment. And all things are become new. That's a judgment. And all things are of God. That's a judgment. It's not just an expression. No, it's a judgment. All things are of God. All things on this new creation are of God. All things, all things are of God. It's that right that we have in the spirit. That we come even in our physical bodies, which is the temple of God. And we say, my heart is of God, therefore it cannot be sick. My liver is of God, my kidneys are of God, my pancreas is of God, my stomach is of God, my hands and feet are of God. Why do we extend that reality? It's because the body, which is the temple, holds that life and that spirit, which is of God. But all things are become new, and that begins from the man of the spirit. Now, it doesn't matter whether this person still has tendencies of the past. The truth is, judged in the nature that they have in Christ, that all things are become new. And so as a minister, or the ministry of Jesus Christ, it is supposed to see men in that light first. Before we preach to them, before we minister to them, whatever we do, we have to first see men in that light. That everything of them is new. And they are of God. They are of God. If she's fallen, she's still fallen, but she is of God. If he has issues to deal with God... Yes, he still has issues, but he's still a man of God. She's still a woman of God. He's still a child of God. They are still children of God. What is our ministry? Our ministry, see, Christ reconciled us back to God. And then he says, and now we have obtained the ministry of reconciliation. Who is this person in the spirit? 
Regard who they are in the spirit. Regard what Christ has done for them in the spirit. Regard what God has in them in the spirit. You will realize that even if somebody comes and tells you, oh, this sister did this, you just say, let's pray for them. Let's thank God for their lives. Oh, this brother is like this. Are we helping them when we discuss them? Are we doing something for them? Is there anything that helps when we say this? No. Where is the point? The point is let us pray for them. And if that person is gossiping or slandering, they'll never come back to you again for gossip and slander. Why? Because you are expressing love. You understand? You're telling them, let's pray for that person now. And after we've prayed for them, let this love constrain us. And keep them in prayer, thanking God because we behold not what is in the flesh touching their lives. But we are praying for them because we regard what or who they are in the spirit. Remember, he did not choose the wise, the honorable. You understand? He got the low, insignificant, the ones even you would not accept. And the Bible says he gets those people and then places them in the places of calling, including yourself. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So, when we say we regard no man in the flesh, or we judge no man in the flesh, it means we regard men only according to the spirit. So the church obtains that ministry as Christ continues his work through us individually to make sure that we are reconciling men back and to God in the face and the person of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says in verses 19, to wit was God in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Reconciling the world unto himself. And how did he do that? Not imputing, not placing, not counting their trespasses unto them. Okay? This is the only way the world would be reconciled back unto God. By not imputing sin on them. By not saying this person is this way. This woman is this way. Every time you say that about a brother or a sister. Especially when you know that they are ministers of the gospel. You are against the ministry of Christ. The ministry of Christ is a ministry of reconciliation. And the ministry that seeks reconciliation does not impute sin. It doesn't say this person is this way. This person is that way or they're that way. No. The Bible says he was not imputing their trespasses on them. And the Bible says, and to us, he has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. That means everything or anything we preach in the gospel must at the end reveal the reconciliation of man unto God. Not imputing sin, you know, and fault or guilt or condemnation on men, but defining them as who they are in Christ or with Christ. Okay, as one with Christ or Showing them what they could be if they become one with Christ. That is the ministry of reconciliation. The Bible says in verses 20, Now then we, as ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead. Now he's talking to folk who have not yet grown into this. Be ye reconciled to God. Walk in that reality of your oneness with the Spirit. See, it's one thing for people not to judge you, but it's also another for you to judge yourself. Okay, some people judge themselves. They say, oh, I don't deserve this. I think I'm this. I think I'm a fallen this. I think I cannot see this. I think this is how I am or this is who I am. I don't think I deserve this. And I don't think I deserve that. I messed up. I don't think I, don't, I have any future. No, you're regarding yourself in the flesh. You're judging after the flesh. But the new nature cannot look at that. But let me also conclude with this. The church has invested too many years and longer time trying to reveal to men who they are in the flesh and you know casting light in some of the most darkest spaces of men's carnal nature than it has in investing in casting light on who they are in Christ and the spirit that they carry in God and that is why people are not living victorious life because the deliverances of the hour are not revealing transformations and because they're not transformations they're not really true deliverances they are phony experiences of people who go through life fasting shaking rolling on the floor but nothing really changes in their lives because they are not redeemed 
by revelation, they are not revealed to be the children of God that they really are. You have to learn to invest time in knowing who you are. That is why you must have a disciplined life. A disciplined life. A disciplined life. What do I mean by a disciplined life? A life that is deliberately, continuously connected to God through your reading of the word, through your life of prayer and fasting and consecration. Because it's the only way you can keep this consciousness alive in your spirit. People who are so self-judging are people who don't really pray. People who don't really read the word, who don't set aside time to fast or consecrate themselves or have personal moments with God, at least on a daily basis. You must have a moment, your own moment with God. And as you continue to discover yourself, as you continue to search and understand who you are by the Spirit, as you continue to see who you really are, as God has termed you, has defined you in this reality, it's amazing how everything kind of fleshly starts to die. Because remember, the human flesh is continuously transactional. And the responsibility of the spirit, your spirit, the Holy Spirit in you, is to kill or mortify the transactions of the body. But you see, some of our people teach that men are bad both within and without. Even those that are born again, they're still called Wicked. You see, I've had people uh, say, the human heart is desperately wicked. Yes, for the fallen man. For the fallen nature. Okay? But the Bible promised that I shall put in you a new heart. Not a heart of stone, but a heart of flesh. And I will cause you to walk in my statutes. So the New Testament believer does not have a desperately wicked heart. No, our heart is the heart of flesh. Softer than the heart of stone. That's what it means. Their flesh, they mean flesh, flesh, body. No. He's talking about a soft heart that is susceptible to the will of God, that is connected and aligned, that obeys the way of the Spirit. And that's the consciousness we must have. But today, we're telling people to be conscious of what is opposite. Say, your heart is desperately wicked. And oh, I think I did this because the heart is desperately wicked. That is for people who are not born again. The new creation. Remember, all things are of God. So the heart that you have in in God, when you become born again, it's of God. So how can it be against the way of the Spirit? It cannot be against the way of the Spirit. It is for the Spirit. It is according to the will of the Spirit. Hallelujah, glory to God. And that's our ministry. Worshippers, worship in that ministry. Write songs in that ministry. Evangelists, teach in that ministry. Pastors, lead your sheep, the sheepfold of Jesus Christ in that ministry. Prophets, prophesy in that ministry. Apostles, lay foundations and build on that ministry. If we can do that, then we will see more men elevated in the ways of the spirit than we see the demonstration and realities of the flesh. Today we see too much flesh in the church. Too much flesh. That now we approve men of God by what they drive, how they dress, what they eat, what you understand. And these are the things that even they show off to the world because they are demonstrating the flesh. They're just demonstrating the flesh. Our altars, men of God, are altars to teach the word of God, to reveal Christ as he is. Because there's nothing for us touching the men of flesh. The fleshly nature is fallen in and out. And it will continue, the Bible says, to be an enmity to the spirit. It will continuously be an enemy to the spirit. Hallelujah. So in your meditation, regardless of where you are in your flesh, the weaknesses that are in your flesh, tune into who you are in the spirit. Speak the words of who you are in the spirit. Confess things over your life touching you in the spirit. Relate with who you are in God. Start to see all things new and are of God. Start to have the vision God has about you. How that you've been given everything 
that pertains to life and godliness. How that you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Why? Because all of this is in the revelation of the love of the Father. Who are you in the spirit? Who is the person you're next to in the spirit? Who is your man of God in the spirit? Who are they really? Okay. Who is your neighbor in the spirit? Who's your spouse in the spirit? Who are your children in the spirit? Regard the spirit. Regard the way of the spirit. And you'll see the flesh and the elements of this world will melt. Will melt. Before the throne of God above. Help me choir. I have a When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me in the flesh, upward I pray for you this morning, this day, this afternoon, this evening, that may you understand our ministry, the great commission of a God who came to seek and save the lost, and that not only will you not regard, but that you will not judge men in the flesh, but judge men by the Spirit. And the beginning of that judgment is in the revelation of God's love in giving them his nature. The perfection of that love to have confidence when judged. For as he is, so are we believers in this world. That we are one with him, inseparable with him to the end of the ages. And he has given us the spirit as a seal of guarantee for our redemption to that day. So I thank God 
that tonight whatever was judging you in the flesh has no power over you. The shackles of judging you in the flesh are broken. The words spoken about you touching your flesh are broken. And now behold the man who is new in Christ and all things are become of God. And that God is going to use you to change this world and that you get better and better. You're a finer person today than you were yesterday and truly will be finer tomorrow. I decree and I declare that all weakness dies, all shortcomings melt, all sickness goes, all bondage leaves, all weakness is destroyed, and the love reigns, love constrains, love holds you not to fall in pieces because God is with you all the way in Jesus mighty name Amen 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 If you have never given your life to Christ and you say you know what apostle I've been hearing but I'm not born again well our ministry is simple be reconciled with God come and be one with him and then judge you but you judge yourself when you refuse to accept him as your Lord and Savior. The Bible says the world will be judged because they received not his son. They believed not his son. And it's in your power and will and choice right now to refuse to be judged with the world. And it's simple. You just receive him as your Lord and Savior. And so wherever you are, I want you to repeat these words after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you shed your blood for my sins and was raised for my glory. Today, I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. I'm born again. Amen. The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 041-466-4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Fenero, make manifest. Thank you.